Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's an author, speaker, and coach. It's Di Manuel. How are you doing today, Di? Fantastic, Alex. Honestly, like really fantastic because I know <laughs> I, I, we were talking before we hit record today and uh, I, I think I must have rebooked with you like three, maybe four times. And uh, so I just feel like this has been the conversation that's been meaning to happen. And I've been feeling so drawn and excited about this because I'm like, to postpone that many times and yet you still allow me to come back. I'm like, you're a good man and I'm excited to talk to you. So thank you. (laughs) We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we'd like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Oh, geez. Great question. Let's just go right back. Now I got to go way back, way back. You know, like I'm on my, uh, as I say, 46th lap around the sun. So we're going to go back a few decades. Right. And uh, so I was born in 76. uh, So mid seventies, you know, really an eighties kid. Uh, And and so anybody that's into stranger things or anything else, like back to the future and all that stuff, uh, that's the eighties. Okay. And that's, that's when I was really thriving. (laughs) But, but also it's when I endured, or I should say, suffered through one of my very first big challenges in life. And, uh, you know, at age nine, my parents separated and ultimately divorced. And, you know, back then, I mean, divorce today, I mean, the statistics are scary. There's more people divorcing than getting married, right? And, yeah. and I mean, that's, that's intimidating, but also really alarming. And, you know, you know, taking this back about 30 years ago, uh, more than 30 years ago, I, you know, there was one other kid in my entire class of 30 kids that had parents that were separated or divorced, you know? So just to sort of shift contextually what I'm talking about here and sort of that impact, because now there's a lot more resources, especially, you know, we talk about mental health today, like every other word, you know, like it's, it's a conversation that we're all engaging in and it's becoming far less stigmatized. And uh, so back then, you know, at age nine, my parents dropping the bomb on my brother and I, my brother being younger, my brother's kind of like the easygoing dude. He's just like <laughs> super chill. He's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that means we get double the Christmas gifts, right? You know, and I'm like, you know, at seven years old, I'm like, dude, you, you, I, I like you, you know, <laughs> like, that's pretty good. But for me, it was a lot more dramatic and, and traumatic. And uh, long and short of it, over the next five years after that, uh, I learned to cope with some of that trauma the only way I knew how at that time, which was through movies, video games, and eating certain types of foods. You know, now these aren't like I was loading up on salads, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was eating a lot of very nutrition poor yet calorie rich foods, and so you can imagine five years of that lifestyle uh, it compounded. And and I remember very distinctively, Alex, being at the doctor with my mom. And this is around 14 years old. And uh, I remember pulling my mom outside of the office. And, you know, it's funny how doctors work, right? They, they, they leave the door ajar just enough. Yeah. So I'm in there, right? And I can hear them talking. And I remember saying, Betty Ann, you're, you're, you're die. He, he's morbidly obese. Wow. Now, Alex, just to sort of put this blankly, you know, I didn't understand what morbidly meant, nor did I understand what obese meant at that yeah. time. But I, I was like, no, nah, it can't be a good thing. You know, like... <laughs> And um, sure enough, it wasn't, but it was also very reflective of my mental health at that, at that time. You know, you, you talk about being in a physical state of unhealth. I, I was also mentally unhealthy and uh, I'd go as far as say even spiritually unhealthy and emotionally unhealthy, just because I, I bottled everything up. And the only way I learned to cope with any of the, 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 the stress and the anxiety and, and uh, other negative emotions was eating in video games. Right. So very internal, very introverted. And uh yeah. Anyways, I, uh, you know, just to sort of 
speed up this story a little bit for you because I know we, we've got a couple other decades to cover here. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to the short of it. Uh, it was the weirdest thing, you know. I remember being at my dad's very distinctly this this one day because you know my parents being divorced by this point in time. I we would see my dad every other weekend, and so I just remember this one weekend in particular. And I was still fourteen at the time, but I was probably about six months out of being fifteen, so about fourteen and a half. And I remember coming out of the shower that day and looking at my reflection in the mirror. And, and this is just to give you a, an idea, because those that are listening and watching this, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. We've all been in that place where we avoid mirrors. We avoid looking at a reflection. We avoid f- photography, right? Like being in anyone's images, uh, photos or, or whatnot. And like back then, you know, I didn't have to worry about people with smartphones and, and yeah. you know, high pixel phones in their back pocket. So it was really easy to avoid, <laughs> you know, like I've only got one photo of me back at that age you know, at 14 morbid obese, because I used to really isolate myself. I didn't want to be anywhere, you know, where I could feel judged, you know, or ridiculed or made fun of. And uh, here I am, you know, like at 14 and a half years old. And I used to have this hack where I would stay in the shower and turn it on extra steamy. So when I would get out, I wouldn't have to see my reflection. It would be all fogged up. You know, all the the, the condensation would be covering it. So I'd be like, yeah, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. I could towel off and go about my day. This one morning, I, I, I had a rush, you know, and I got out and I I remember turning and locking eyes with my reflection in the mirror. And then I did the scan, right? Looking all the way down, stopping at my chest, continuing down to my belly. And then I did the upside, right? Coming all the way back up. And, And I remember just coming back up and just having this uncontrollable sobbing come about me. And, uh, it was a sad moment because I was contemplating, wouldn't it be a lot easier just not to be here? you know, and, uh, and on the flip side, I was also thinking, you know, I don't want to do that. I, like the idea of dying scares me. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it scares me more to die than the idea of possibly changing, you know, and, and I, th- I can articulate this now, but this is actually what was going through my mind. Right. I'm like, you know, well, if I don't like being this way, I know people say that you can change. I know I've seen people that wanted to get healthy, get healthy. You know, there's enough social proof out there and, and people that I've directly know that have made lifestyle changes and have improved. So I'm like, maybe I can too, you know, and I came out of that bathroom and, and I found my dad and I was like, dad, you know, I really want to get healthy. I, I don't want to be like this anymore, you know, and, and uh, he must have seen something in my eyes at that moment. Like I was serious. Like this was like something I really wanted to do for me because up to that point, you know, like all parents, they want their kids to be happy, healthy, yep. vibrant. And, and so you can imagine over those five years, because everyone always asks me, well, weren't your parents supported? Didn't they want to help you with your change? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. They wanted to help me. You know, every chance they got, they were recommending like, well, why don't we get you a nutritionist? Why don't we change how we're eating? Why don't we try this? Why don't we get you a personal trainer? You know, like they were always making these suggestions. But every time they said that, Alex, every time I was like, you just don't think I'm good the way I am. You think I need to change? You know, like I was so, I mean, I was a dick. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, I was a teenager. I was unhappy. I was depressed. I was obese on top of that. You know, like I was just, ah, life was for me at that point in time, very hard, very challenging. And uh, so anytime anybody wanted to help me, I was like, no, <laughs> you know, you just, you're, you're not nice. And no, I won't change because you want me to change. And my dad saw that that morning, I wanted to change for me. And uh, he's like, well, what would you like to do? How, what do you want to do? Of course I want to help you. What do you want to do? <laughs> and I was like, well, I like riding bikes. Do you think we can get me a bike? 
because I used to remember that, you know, at seven, eight, even at nine years old, I remember, you know, we used to live out in, in the country at times before we moved into the city. And, uh, you know, we had lots of land out there and I would just bike, you know, all day and uh, loved it. So I was like, can we get me a bike? And my dad's like, yeah, yeah, we can get you a bike. And that afternoon, literally we went out, bought me a bike. That evening when we got back, I was out on my first bike ride and I went out every day, just every day. I was like, I'm just going to go out for a short ride every day because I didn't want to go to gym. I don't want to be anywhere public. You know, I want to do this on my own. And so that's what I did. And I just committed to that. And, and man, 20 months later, of course, I changed how I was thinking. I changed my nutrition a little bit uh, from the standpoint. I, I really just became more mindful of what I was eating and how much of it I was eating. And uh, sure enough, 20 months later, I had released the weight and, and literally had this massive shift. That was one of the first big challenges in my life that I myself worked through, of course, with some support around me, mm-hmm. but came out the other side feeling like, wow, change not only is possible, but I can actually help facilitate it along. Yep. You know, I, I don't have to be a victim of change anymore. I, I can actually be a champion of change, you know, like, and that's sort of how I see it now, because, you know, there's been other challenges in my life that have, have obviously come, but I always think back to that period and I'm like, okay, well, I, I was able to work through that change. I know I can do this again. You know, so that's that internal belief that's been built based on past experiences. So, you know, as I fast forward through the rest of my life, you know, the next 30 years, and it's, it's had its challenges too. You know, as my TEDx talk hints at, I, I struggle with alcohol and narcotics and autoimmune issues and oh my gosh, you, you name it. I've, I've probably done it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we can get to that in a second here, but I, I thought it would be valuable to at least share that origin story because you asked me. So I, I really appreciate the, the trip down memory lane, so to speak, you know? You talked about divorce and my parents got divorced at the, when I was three. So it's different. Wow. We both had wow. different like yeah. ways that we went because I was much younger do you think looking at a hypothetical, if you were much younger, do you think that the trauma would affect you more? Because at the age of nine, 10, you're much older, you kind of are more aware of what's going on around. And especially nowadays, if a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, social media, something on the internet's going to pop up and that's going to just make it change big time. But for you, do you think if you were younger or maybe even older when it happened, that it would play more of an effect and you might have not gone through the trauma. I, I think it's probably safe to say that if I was younger, I would have probably adapted a bit more quickly and, and yep. maybe not have gone necessarily the direction that I did go. Cause really I went internal, right. I, I was like, I just internalized that trauma and, and, you know, dealt with it the only way I could figure out how to deal with it. And it was through food and video games, like literally it was dopamine hits and, getting my blood sugar to a point where I get a little bit of a high, you know, that's, that's what happens when we eat certain types of sugary foods. We do, we get a bit of a high, we feel good in the moment until later. And then we want more or we feel depressed. <laughs> you know, So I, I just learned how to self-medicate with that process. And, and uh, so if I, I, I do think back, you know, if I was younger, it, it probably would have been different. Um, but if I was older, I don't think it would have been much different. You know, I, I still think I would have struggled, but maybe things would have been different. I mean, it's one of those things, right? We can go back and say, what if all the way we want? Yes. Uh, and those are really there, but I, I don't know, like what, what was the experience like for you? You know, as you became more aware of it, as you aged and became aware of the situation, was there, I mean, how, how did you feel? how did you navigate that? For me, it's like, well, my parents have been divorced my whole entire life. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like anything different. And like my mom remarried, but 
it did. And then she went through another divorce, but that divorce really didn't affect me as much um, because I was more closer with my mom than the stepfather at that time. And I was still having a good relationship with my dad. And so it just felt like the norm for me. It didn't really bother me because I kind of, as I got older, I kind of controlled the schedule. When did I go see my dad? When was I with my mom? And then when I was able to drive, I got to be able to do both. And so to me, it's like, it depends on the age and how you adapt to it because if they're both getting along with each other, it definitely helps out. But we see sometimes in these relationships where it doesn't go that way. Even we see on TV shows. So it de- it's all depends on that family situation because you can't say, oh, well, he said it worked for him, but that's because it was in how I related to it, adapt right. to it. So we all have different stories that it goes with. We sure do. You know, it's awesome though. I mean, I don't think there's any right or wrong. It's just, it's all... Uh, highly subjective right based yeah. on the situation we find ourselves our upbringing i mean that whole idea of uh, uh nature versus nurture right like it's ah it's a it's a it's a <laughs> i was gonna say it's a slippery slope when you start going down that path and trying to hype you know just i don't know sometimes i i think it's really interesting because we sort of have that confirmation bias you know that, mm-hmm. that capability of where we we have some ideas or assumptions and then we just automatically look to prove that right yeah. <laughs> as being true without you know taking the same amount of energy to prove that maybe it's not true you know and uh i'm guilty of that i find myself down that path a lot so uh i'm like be mindful of that be mindful anyways it's uh this is cool i like it yeah. you mentioned when the first time you got the bike it kind of started that change mm-hmm. and you talked about being more isolated did you feel that as you gotten older, after you got that bike, you saw a different mentality change. Were you going out a little bit more? Were friends seeing a different change in you? Did you start having, finding new passions, skills, and things like that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was as soon as I started to feel the change and, and, and really own it, meaning that I, I was recognizing that my new actions that I was taking in place of what I used to be doing was actually creating a positive change, like yep. literally, you know, and that's the thing with the, I, I like using health as a primary example of how do we experience change. And I, I mean, it works really well when we want to get healthy, but people don't realize it also works the opposite direction, right? Like it's, it's not necessarily something that happens immediately. We wish. <laughs> we I know, wish. right? I, because I always tell people, if you went to McDonald's and you had a Big Mac meal, and after that Big Mac meal, you put on 20 pounds instantly, and you know, your cholesterol levels jump 10 points, then maybe you would not eat it, you know, because the repercussions are felt instantly, right? But it's not that way, you know, and, uh, and I'm not here to vilify McDonald's, please don't, don't take the context (laughs) here. But um, I I do recognize that, you know, it's convenience food, right? It's super easy, but it's made in mass and and it's very low in nutritional value. And listen, I I survived off that stuff for a long time in my life, you know, and it, it led me to a very negative situation. And I, I think when I think back on it, I, I isolated myself based on lack of confidence mm-hmm. is a big one, but I also had a very low self-opinion of myself on top of that, you know, and, and, and the two aren't mutually exclusive, you know, like they're, they're, they're two very negative states of, of looking at oneself, you know, yep. and, uh, and based on that, I found it easier to isolate. Now I had some friends and we would get together occasionally, but I was never fully expressing myself. 
you know, and, and I was often looking to play video games or watch movies. So, I mean, how much interaction do you have when that's happening? Right. So that was comfortable. It was comfortable. It was easy. And, um, but as I started to exercise, right. And, and, and that's the cool thing about exercise. So one thing that is instant is, and I still live by this today. I know that, you know, I'm only ever one workout away from feeling better. And, and just like certain foods by eating them creates this positive emotional upswing, right? Like you eat something sugary when you're feeling pretty low in energy and yeah, almost instantly you're like, woo, perked up. Now, five, 10 minutes later, you might be right back where you were, but yeah. <laughs> regardless, very effective. Well, fitness has the same sort of effectiveness. You know, you get our heart rate, our heart rates elevated. We move our body with a bit of purpose, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes. You can't help but feel good after that because it also creates, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a positive endorphin shift, right? Like it, it, it creates a little bit of, uh, of increased blood flow to the brain. It, it also gets the body moving. It reduces a little bit of inflammation. On top of that, you know, it gets our metabolism moving a little bit more. So we may feel a bit more alert, but ultimately it helps increase energy. And people often think, oh, if I exercise, I'm going to reduce energy. I'm actually going to be expending energy. And it actually does the opposite. Yeah, it creates more energy, you know, and and it's instant. And that's how we know it's a good thing for us, right? Because <laughs> it's instant and it actually helps improve quality of life, but also our mental state. So long and short of it, as I was working out and as I was experiencing these positive shifts based on the choices and the actions I was making, I, I started to gain more confidence in myself. And as I was gaining more confidence in myself, I also found that I was becoming a little bit more expressive. I was open to continuing a conversation. I wasn't just giving yes, no answers, right? <laughs> I, I was experimenting with being more than the introverted self that I became very accustomed to being. And as such, as I was changing and started to express myself, some people started to invite me to, to participate in some group activities, even going to a party, you know, and stuff like that, which is new to me at 16 years of age. And, and also Alex, uh, a lot of people say, well, what was the real motivation guy? And I'm like, well, to be honest, you know, at, at, at that age, and as a man who identifies as a man, I, I, I wanted a girl to want me, you know, that, like, that is what I wanted, you know, and, and it really, the underlying tone there is I just wanted to be wanted, you know, mm -hmm. I wanted loved and, and at that point I didn't see the value of me and if I couldn't see the value of me how could anybody else see that you know and and it's interesting because I mean as much as I'm talking about this when I was a teenager gosh I struggle with the same thing you know as I've aged you know I don't think it's anything that we just automatically eliminate entirely we, we all go there from time to time you know and and then so as I started to associate with different people that also had certain influence on me certain peer pressure of course you know I started hanging out with the wrong crowd for a period of time and they liked to party, but I loved the attention I was getting. I was getting invited to these things. And, and also because, you know, I kickstarted my puberty. And so within that 18 to 20 months, I, I had lost some weight, but I had also gained a lot of that back, but as muscle and height, <laughs> you know, so I was now one of the bigger guys in class. And so based on that, I was starting to get attention and get invited to, to, to certain things. And, and uh, this one group, I, I, you know, got sucked in. And uh, started doing things that I would never normally do. And I was definitely acting out and uh, as a way of trying to fit in. And, um, you know, eventually that, that changed uh, when I realized I was just being used and abused quite literally. Uh, 
and um, made some changes, found a better crowd. And by that point, I was graduating. I was like, you know what? I'm done with this town. And I grew up in a small town east, uh, just outside of Toronto. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to move to Vancouver. Uh, so that's like going from Toronto to Vancouver. It's literally going from one side of the country to the other side. And uh, I have never looked back, you know, so that was at age 18. I was like, peace out, Ontario. I'm uh, going to Vancouver, Western Canada, and, and uh, that will be my new home. And it was also a great place for me to start over and start fresh without anybody knowing my background, my history, no one ever thinking about me as being morbidly obese, uh, because that was a stigma that was very challenging to, sh- to, to shake, you know, within a small community. It just, it just was, you know, a lot of the friends that I'd grown up with and was in classes with as we progressed through our schooling um, always knew me as that fat kid. And, and as such, just had that, that, that opinion of me, that sort of, even though I wasn't that anymore and I had changed and I, I, you know, it's just weird how, how we, we act as kids. Right. It's just weird. I always wonder if I went back to like a high school reunion, would people, what did people think of me back then and how have I've changed? Cause I feel that I've grown up so much. I mean, you talked about obesity. I was at that in high school and I didn't find that change or that momentum until I really was having medical issues um, as a type one diabetic, it started hitting me a lot. And I'm like, I got to do this for me. I can't do it for anyone else and lost 50 pounds. And I've felt the best I've ever felt. And I'm like, well, if I accomplish this, I know I can accomplish anything. And I still, every day when I go work out, even if it's a bike ride, I have one of those Peloton. Well, it's not Peloton. I don't want to get an ad sponsored by. Oh yeah. Unless they want to give me one, but yeah, there you I, go. <laughs> I bought one of those and it's just so rewarding. Like just so much fun just to take 20 minutes and just enjoy, feel free. And it's been the best thing. You talked about going to Vancouver. What was that dream job that you were wanting? Uh, that's another great question. You know, I, when I think about what did I want to do? I, I, okay. So let's uh, take a step back here for a second, because now you're, you're making me, you know, I appreciate this question, all right, but it changed and it shifted from 18 to 20, and, and here's why. You know, when I graduated high school, I had set up my last two years of schooling to be heavily biased to the sciences, mm-hmm. uh, and because I had this intention that I was going, because I even had done a practicum the last two years in a vet practice, a veterinarian practice. So I had this intention of being a veterinarian. And so I had set out and I I got into University of British Columbia here in Vancouver. And I got into the agricultural sciences program because you have to do one year in that before you can go into veterinary medicine. And uh, so I'm doing this. I'm going through the path. Right. But my main motivation for doing this is because my father was a veterinarian. And you know, my dad and I never had a, a very close relationship. We had a good relationship, but it wasn't a great relationship. And we're both somewhat stoic and uh, at least back then. And, and you know, we, we were good with each other, but, you know, we didn't really talk about anything below the surface. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just, yeah, it was very surface. And, uh, but I used to remember how he would act when we would get talking about the vet practices or talking about his practice, talking about his career, you know, you just get excited, you know? And so there was that bonding opportunity when we would have those conversations and I would see it in his eyes, that the passion and excitement of me possibly following in his footsteps. So that's what I thought I'd do, you know? And, uh, but I was doing it largely, if I'm perfectly honest, I was doing it for him. 
and for what I thought it would bring us. And uh, after that first year, I, I really struggled. You know, I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, I, I hate the sciences. I was, I was failing out because I just wasn't motivated to go to class and I was just really struggling with it. And, uh, you know, this is a funny side note because after I got through that first year, obviously I, I shared with my dad how poorly I had done and um, they were going to put me on academic probation. That's how bad my grades were, right? Yeah, so it was like, I, mean, I showed up to class like less than half the time, right? And uh, I got into rock climbing and other stuff. So I was just, <laughs> I was going off to the mountains, right? And uh, because I was like, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to be a vet. But I didn't know how to tell my dad that. And I remember we, he came up for a visit and we got into this conversation. And uh, it was really the first true vulnerable conversation I can remember us having. And um, we got to talk and I was just like, you know, dad, I just don't really want to be a vet. I, I thought I did, you know, I, I wanted to do it because I also wanted to make you happy and proud. And, and, uh, and I remember him telling me, he's like, dad, I just want you to be happy. You got to do what's going to make you happy. And I was like, dude, can you tell me that a year ago? No, <laughs> like, I'm like, like, what? No way, you know? And, uh, and it was just, it was really just a great ex- relief to me, but also I, I'm sure it was a relief to him too. You know, because it was a, this place where we came to an understanding, but also an acceptance of one another, you know, him accepting yeah. me as me and, and me wanting to pursue a different passion, which was in the arts. You know, I, I, so I switched into philosophy and English literature. <laughs> very, very different, right? Very different. And, um, and so I sort of pursued that. And uh, but meanwhile, was doing fitness as, as for my income. You know, I was either personal training, leading spin classes working at the local rock climbing gym um, and then eventually also teaching kickboxing. So I was doing all these little side jobs and classes and stuff just to generate some income for myself while I was going to school. And, uh, and then eventually I, I found myself in a position where I started earning commission based on selling fitness equipment. And if you've ever worked in a commission environment, it's really neat because it's performance-based. Yes. You know what? And I remember getting interviewed and I was like, so wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Tell me this, Sandra, that Sandra was the manager. You're telling me the more people that come in here that I'm willing to help get healthy, you're going to pay me more? She's like, yeah. (laughs) So the more people I help to get healthy, you're going to pay me more. She's like, yes. I'm like, well, this sounds like a really good job. (laughs) And so it got me in this and I excelled. I excelled, you know, very quickly. uh, Because originally, if you go to school for philosophy, Alex, like it's like teacher or lawyer. Yeah, I mean, that's, pretty much yes. it. I, you know like i mean i don't know what else you're going to do with those degrees right like it's it i mean you could be an author which i ultimately wrote a book but you don't write books to get rich unless you're jk rowling stephen king or, <laughs> or somebody like that that sells a bajillion books right so uh i realized that you know i don't want to be a lawyer and i don't have the patience to be a teacher <laughs> my, my kids will attest to that and <laughs> and so here i am you know finding myself like oh my god what am i gonna do and uh and it was okay, right? Because I, I discovered that I had this knack for, for doing this. And, and, and within that, that two years, my first two years there, I was making more than most lawyers, you know? And, and I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And it, it's retail. So it is a little bit like putting on the boxing gloves every morning and stepping in the rings. Retail can be yes. a, a little bit tiring, uh, but it can be a great career too, you know? But it's again, finding the balance because it, it is tough to to find that, you know, there is a struggle with the juggle, so to speak, especially if you're working retail type hours. And, uh, 
so that, yeah, that was it, man. And, and eventually I got into a place where I had an opportunity to, to break off from the national chain that I was a part of with one of the joint founding partners. And we formed our own company and then started down that path. And, and literally for 17 years was building and scaling a, a retail company with a business partner. And, uh, and eventually got to a point where I was just wasn't wanting to do that anymore. You know, um, I realized that I'd gone through some other big changes, which we can talk about in a minute, but uh, made a big career change shift uh, six years ago, you know, massive, like massive, you know, like a full 180, you know, but I'm still doing similar things that I, I like to do, but I, I left the retail business and was like, I can't do that anymore. I just no more, <laughs> you know, no more brick and mortar. I'm, I'm moving going digital <laughs> and and it's been a great experience ever since but uh obviously a lot of trial and error and learning and growth right but such is life i remember having one job where i graduated college i worked at a grocery store for through all of high the end of high school through college and then i get the first job and it was one of those where you had to go into like a sam's club or a costco where was I? Yeah. Sam's clubs or Costco's or Walmart's. And you had to demonstrate products to people and get them to buy it. Well, you get this small salary or hourly. I'm not going to say it's salary because it didn't make much. And then you got bonuses for everything you like people bought. And I'm just doing this. And the funny thing is uh, the eventual company that I ended up at next, I actually Mm -hmm. demonstrated the product on my manager. And she remembers me doing it. It was one of these like facial wow. creams. And all I had to do was get, t- they basically say, get their hands. And then you have to like rub it to show what it would look like on their face. And it gets all the por- dirt and stuff. And she's like, I remember you doing that. And I'm like, what a small world. But I look at that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it was definitely a learning experience. Cause yeah. I asked you, what was your dream job? Mine was a game show host. Oh, I love and it. I talked about even before our recording where I got to interview some of my idols. Well, some of those were game show hosts and I feel like I'm doing that now, but it took me so long to get there. And so it's just been so much fun to like, look back at that and then see where I'm at today. Oh, Maybe you'll be the next guest host on uh, on Jeopardy, right? Like I would hope you've so. got the first name, you got yeah. Alex. <laughs> like you can be Alex two point uh, <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> so fitness has been such a huge part of your life, and you mentioned earlier about narcotics, alcohol, and some tr- more trauma that has happened. How did that play an effect and how did that evolve in your life? And what was the biggest thing you learned from yourself during that time? Well, I, I learned that I, I had a nickname, Fun Guy Die, right? Oh. And, and that was my nickname. It was like the moniker, right? Like I remember going to professional trade shows where I'd be a purchaser, right? Like I'm going to buy equipment for my stores and, or, or negotiate larger purchases for more of our B2B type clientele. And, uh, and we, we'd be there, we'd be talking and, and the suppliers, you know, I had such a reputation. They'd be like, Hey, where are you going tonight? Cause I want to be there. You know, like that was yeah. it. And when I really became mindful and aware of that, especially when I started to question you know, doing this all the time, probably not the best thing. Cause I wasn't feeling fulfilled and I was feeling rather empty to be honest, you know, and, and it was just affecting me emotionally and psychologically. And, but also physically it was taking its toll. Cause I was also aging, right. I was getting older and approaching 30 at this point. And, and uh, I started to realize, you know, like <laughs> it, it's weird how our egos shift, 
right? Mm-hmm. In that mid to late 20 period, you know, sort of that 26 to 30, I was proud of that nickname. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm cool. I'm the dude, you know, like, it's just living in my ego and not realizing that, you know, no one really was taking me necessarily seriously, but they wanted to party with me, you know, and, and I realized I wasn't doing myself any favors professionally, you know, but also personally, because also at this point I'm, I'm married, I've got kids, you know, like I'm also a business owner. I've got a lot of staff and employees and we're growing and I've got a lot of responsibilities and, and yet I'm living kind of this double lifestyle, you know, and, and uh, I used to, to, to almost brag that, yeah, 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 I work really hard, but I party harder, you know, and, and just, I remember saying these things, Alex, like, like, and, and, you know, when I think about it, sometimes I'm like, oh, I get this little like shiver and I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, like, I just want to shake it off. And, and it, it's weird, right? Like just how we remember back to certain things that we've done or experienced or maybe said, and, and our memory is so weird, right? Because if we're not feeling good about ourselves, when we're reflecting on that, it doesn't help us feel yeah. any better. <laughs> you know, It tends to get worse. And um, so during that period, like I mentioned, you know, I sort of went from the food consoling my emotions to, to alcohol. But also I realized that these people I was starting to get to know and get invited to, to, to social events, especially when I moved to Vancouver, I still was dealing with some of this um, social anxiety from when I was obese, you know, like I still was struggling with connecting with people. Um, Cause I, I, I lived most of my life as an introvert, even though mm-hmm. I wanted to be extroverted. Okay. Like I see people being extroverted. I'm like, I want that. I want to be that person, you know, I, but I wasn't sure how to do it, but I did learn early on. If I have a few drinks, wow, I, I, I feel like I can talk to anybody right now. You know, <laughs> I feel like I can be somebody completely different right now. And that was the problem. You know, I got to the point where I preferred being that other person than being me. And, and that's not a good place to be, you know? Um, and uh, so that started to compound. My health was kind of on a decline, but I was always really good at like, oh, I can just buckle down. I'll have a nice hard reset. I'll work out really hard for the next week or two and I'll be fine. <laughs> you know, and So it was sort of like this start, stop, continue, mm-hmm. stop, maybe start again, maybe continue or stop again. You know, and so it was just very staccato, just how I was focusing on my health and uh, which also made me feel like an imposter a, a lot of the time. Cause here I am, especially in Vancouver, I had, uh, you know, we, we talked about personal branding, you know, I, I was known as the health and wellness guy. I'd be the guy going on the local TV and radio, you know, if they wanted to talk to somebody about health and fitness or lifestyle trends, I was the person that they would call because I also had a really active and engaged blog and platform. And, you know, so I was sort of that trusted resource. And yet I'm going on, and I'm talking about this stuff. But meanwhile, on the flip side, I'm like, come see me on Friday night, bar. I probably won't be this guy that you're seeing on TV right now. And again, that just eats away and eats away and eats away. And uh, so I became more withdrawn. And by the time I got to 32, it was just like, holy, full, full crisis mode, you know? Um, I, I was drinking more and drinking by myself times, like not, not good, you know? Even being at home, looking after my kids with my wife away, I'd, I'd be drinking, you know? Like, and it was because not, I would say it was sort of out of boredom, but also out of habit. You know, it was just, I got to a place where I just preferred having the buzz. It just made life seem a little bit more tolerable. And um, 
And it's weird, right? Because when I reflect on it, Alex, if I'm perfectly honest, life looked really good back then. Mm-hmm. You know, if any if anybody would have met me at that point, they'd be looking at, okay, he's got his own company. It's successful. Great. He's got a beautiful wife, great kids. You know, he's very active in some other community initiatives, you know, some big fundraisers that I was a part of. Like I was doing everything right to be perceived a certain way. But on the flip side, I wasn't living like that all the time. So it was just, oh man, it was tough. Right. And it got to a place where I just couldn't do it anymore. And my wife got to a place where she couldn't do it anymore. And this is sort of where the TEDx talk takes off and, 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 and talks to this situation or this moment, similar to the moment that I had with my dad when I was obese coming out of the bathroom, you know, like I came out knowing that I need to make a shift. Well, you know, the short or long and short of this portion of the story at 32, almost 33 years of age, my my wife had sat me down one morning after I'd been out for an all night bender. I don't even remember how I got home the night before. And I even woke up on the floor beside wow. the bed. Like it's, it's not a pretty story, <laughs> um, but it's a real story. Uh, and most real stories aren't necessarily pretty. So, uh, you know, that's where I was. And, you know, it's about noon and, you know, they're downstairs. My, my kids and my wife are downstairs in the kitchen and uh, living room area. And um I get up and I walk down the hall and then down the stairs and my wife is just there and I can tell she's just pissed, you know, like she's, it, it, she's well beyond the breaking point. She's broken. I've put her back together with scotch tape and it's broken again, you know, like it's, it's done. <laughs> and, um, and I could tell, you know, just the way she was looking at me. And uh, so she sat me down. Kids are in the living room watching TV, door of the Explorer. Awful jingle. I won't say it because it's like a, it will get stuck in your head. You'll never get rid of it. Uh, but they were massive Dora fans at that age. Uh, and um, I remember her sitting me down and it was like, you know, we can't, this is not a healthy environment to raise our kids in anymore. You know, like I, we can't do this anymore. Like your, your girls, your daughters, our kids need a more stable home environment. They, they need stability with their parents, you know, and she was just sharing what, she was alive and real for her, but what she really wanted for our girls as well as herself. And here's the thing, Alex, someone that's worked in sales most of my adult life, I'm really good at handling objections. (laughs) I'm really good at talking myself out of tough situations. I had nothing at that moment. I, I, I couldn't defend myself. I was truly defenseless based on action or lack of action, you know, like just based on who I was and what I kept doing and kept repeating. Cause I got really good at always, you know, begging for forgiveness rather than asking for permission as the cliche goes. Right. Like that, yeah. I, that was me. I was living that. And she just got to a point. She's like, you know, no more. She had endured cause she loved me. She saw the potential in me. She married that potential as well as the person that I was, but that person had slowly got a back seat. And, um, she looked at me and she asked me one question. And this is the question, like literally the question that changed everything and got me on this path that I've been on the last 13 years. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Di, are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? And Alex, you know, pardon the pun, but it was a very sobering question. You know, like both literally and figuratively, like it was in the moment. I I realized 
the effect that I was having on my kids, on my wife and everything in my life was all because of my choices and actions. Mm-hmm. I, it's me role modeling what's okay to my kids. You know, I, I was showing them, this is what a man is. This is what a husband is. This is what a business owner is. You know, this is what a community leader is. Like, this is what I was role modeling and living by example and showing them. And to be honest, you know, at the age that they are now, 17 and 19, if a boy comes to our house wanting to date my daughters and they're anything like I was, you know, 12, 13 years ago, I'm not letting them in. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, there's no way. But that's who I was telling them was okay. You know, and, and as, as most statistics will show you, uh, kids often end up with people that are very similar to the parents that they had. You know, there's a lot of similarities. And, and I didn't want who I was back then to be the measuring stick with which they measure other men later. Because I set the bar really low. <laughs> and I was like, no, we're changing that, you know, and, and, and that's really where things started to happen. I, I started by making a commitment to have no drinking, no alcohol for one year. That's what it started as. Because up to that point, the longest I'd ever done is like a sober September kind of thing, you know, like a one month of not drinking from the age of 18 on, you know, 18 to 33, that 15 years, I think the longest stint that I'd ever done is one month. Wow. Give you some perspective, right? And uh, so I made a commitment to go one year, which is a big deal. You know, that's 12X on my most I've ever done. So I thought yep. that was a pretty good commitment. And my wife agreed, you know, and, and the girls and, and I, I made the commitment to them, but I more importantly made the commitment to myself. And, and then I just started to do that. I, I let a few people know about it and I just started to, to, to live and, and function without alcohol. But here's the thing. I wasn't functioning very well because now I removed the piece that I had used and associated to deal with my stress, my overwhelm, my anxiety. It was my coping mechanism, my crutch, if you will. I, I, I removed the crutches and I realized, Ooh, I got a bit of a limp. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really function. I can't walk very well. I, I need to do something about this. And this is where I got to a point where I got raw and real with my wife. Like I, I'd never fully disclosed with her my emotional state because it had never been role model to me how to share emotions in a healthy way, mm-hmm. how to ultimately be vulnerable, you know, without fear of, you know, any negative repercussions. Like my relationship with vulnerability at that point was, well, if you're vulnerable, it means you're weak. It means you can be killed, <laughs> you know, or taken advantage of us. So I always thought of the term vulnerability as being a very big negative and not something that we should ever aspire for. It started to shift, especially because of that moment where I broke down and I asked for help and I asked for her support. And from there, I found a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist that I worked with for about four months. And then I found a counselor that I worked with for about three, three and a half months. Over that period of that year, I had changed so much, Alex, like so much, that by the time we got to the end of one year, <laughs> my wife is like, wow, you did the whole year. It's amazing. Do you want to celebrate? Should we share a bottle of wine together? And I'm like, you know what? So much change has happened in the last year and I'm feeling so good. What would it be like to just keep going? Like, what do you think is possible? What, what, what if I could just keep going? Now, it's 13 years now and, and I, I don't even think about it. It just it's my lifestyle that's emerged from this, but it's like wild, you know, like just what has transpired from that one decision, that one commitment, you know, and, and yeah, it changes hard, but it's almost always worth it, you know? Yep. And, and, and it's not until we get through the hard stuff and are able to look back that we actually recognize that because <laughs> when you're in it, yeah, all you see is it right. Like all you see is like, Oh my gosh, this is hard, but we're resilient. 
you know, as humans, we are, we're resilient. It's in our DNA. Uh, we've been around for millennia. You know why? Because we're <laughs> resilient, you know, and yep. my climate change friends, they'll be the first to say we're too resilient as a species, but <laughs> that's another conversation. We'll let, you know, the documentarians deal with that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have this ability to, to endure hard stuff and come out on the other side, evolve better, stronger, you know, in, in a better place. And uh, I think sometimes we forget about that. You know, I know I'd have many times and, and I'm trying to be, keep that more front of mind now today, even every time I encounter a new challenge, it's like, okay, all right, this is a hard, I know it, but yep. I've been through harder, you know, and, and I came out the other side. Okay. Also, I, I use a, an activity that is really cool. And anybody that's listening to this, you might appreciate this. There's a, a Ted talk by, um, uh, oh, gosh, why am I drawing a blank all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> Uh, gosh, uh, four hour work week, uh, Ferris, Tim Ferris. Sorry, I was drawing a blank there. So Tim Ferris, uh, he did a TED talk, I think it was his first one. And he talks about this fear setting exercise. And it's this idea of just asking ourselves, you know, and trying to be stoic with it. So we're trying to, to take the emotion out of this question, but asking ourselves, you know, what is the worst that could happen? <laughs> you know, like, if we start thinking about change, change usually involves doing things differently than we've done them to now you know, up to that point. And so change is often going to involve us doing something different, something new, you know? Yep. And I always invite people, what was the worst that can happen if you do that? Like, really, what's the worst that can happen? Tell me, tell me the worst, you know, and they start rattling off all the worst things. I'm like, okay, well, how likely do you think any of that stuff is that that's going to happen? Like, like, you know, like dying, <laughs> you know, like, and often they're like, well, I don't think it's that likely. I'm like, great. So what's really the biggest thing holding you back from this? And it ultimately comes down to, well, it's just me, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. just me, you know, and, and I think that's really cool. As you peel back all the layers, we all ultimately realize it's just us looking at ourselves in the reflection and, and realizing we're the only thing that's preventing us from often enduring change. And, uh, but you got to go through a lot of it to realize it, you know, and um, every single person that you've ever spoken to, I know has one of these stories or multiple stories. I know you do, Alex. And, and I think that's what makes us all so connected in this human experience is that we're all having these moments. Yeah. And that's why I love what you're doing, Alex. You're documenting these, you're documenting them, you're creating it and you're making it accessible for all of us to learn through others examples. And I, I think it's just absolutely amazing. So yeah. Anyways. You talked about the 13 years of sobriety that you've been on, which is amazing. And Thanks. there's so much temptation out there where anywhere you go. And I made a challenge, not considered alcohol related, but something that took a lot out of me was fast food. And like, yeah. it's so easy. You just drive up on any city and you can see like 20 different fast food places and you see the commercials, you see the ads, the billboards. And when I started my fitness journey, I said, I needed to get rid of this because I'm like, oh, I'm working out. I can have a cheeseburger or something. No, that didn't help because basically it just cancels out each other. And so starting last year in April of 2021, I said, I'm not going to have fast food. We're already in June and I still haven't had it. And I'm like, why stop? Awesome. And I could not believe I've gone this long because I was a friends the other day watching a baseball game on TV and you don't know how many ads for fast food come up. And I'm like, oh, that looks good. Then when the game's over, I'm like, I don't need it. I'm just going to go eat something. It's dinner time. Let me make dinner right now. Pull up a steak, start grilling. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine. 
but it just shows that there's so much temptation out there. And especially with social media, which plays an effect where I think when you, especially with you being fitness, where it's like, oh, you can have this. It's like, you know, you say that someone's going to take those exact words. And then if it doesn't work out, they're going to get mad at you. So it just shows that there's temptations all over, but we have the power. We have the control to make it happen. You talked about being honest with your wife. As your daughters or your kids getting older, have you been open to them about your struggles and where they can be open to you if they are going through something? So my wife's been really good. She's she's quite... Um, so she's the eldest of five siblings. And wow. uh, she also lost her mother in a terrible accident when she was 13. So at that point she had four younger siblings. And then, so you can just sort of imagine that she's, she's basically became the matriarch overnight, yeah. you know, responsible for her younger siblings. Her dad was dealing with some, some very serious depression. Obviously he just lost his, his love of his life drastically immediately without any warning. And he's, responsible for five kids now by himself while also trying to run his business, you know, mm-hmm. and he's traveling all over. So I, I just, I can imagine the pressure that was under Christy, but also her father at that time. And, uh, but obviously, you know, her and learning to, to even thrive, even given those conditions and, and changes that she was thrust upon her without her, her choice, right? Like sometimes change, it comes and yeah, we don't want it, but it comes anyways. Right. And, and she just got such a, an optimistic, but also a positive outlook on change uh, that she's been much more in the mentor seat with my kids, with our kids, sorry, uh, with our daughters. Um, now that's shifted, especially in the last, uh, I'd say, 10 years based on some of the changes, but more importantly, the work that I started doing. Um, and as a result of our relationship with the kids gotten better, yes, as our opportunity to talk about more sensitive topics absolutely you know absolutely we're also very fortunate that our eldest daughter she is just very very open book with us almost to a fault <laughs> you know like it's like okay that's tmi we don't need to know that about you and your boyfriend you know like it, it's uh but it, you know we'd rather it be that way than the opposite yeah you, you know and um so we, we try. We're very aware that what we do is modeled to our kids. And, and we've been very. Sorry. Did oh, you say that? Sorry. Every time I slur my S, Siri starts talking to me. So <laughs> um, uh, I, I got to watch my S's. Um, let, let me just put it this way. You know, kids are always growing. I, I think one of the best parenting tips I can offer anybody is, you know, just remind your kids you're only human. You know, like they, they do tend to put us on pedestals, especially when they're younger and uh, the higher the pedestal, the, the further we fall, you know, in their eyes, when we do make mistakes, because we will make mistakes, we are fallible. That's just, again, part of the human experience. We make mistakes, but learning to own them and address them. And and that's the thing that I've really become much more aware of. And a better example for my kids is I'm much more, uh, I'm much quicker to own when I make mistakes or I could have done things better. It's not always in the moment, but I'll come around to it usually fairly quickly, at least a lot more quickly than I used to, you know, um, still a work in progress. Uh, I'll be fully honest, but 
it, it's it's constantly improving you know and and as long as they're seeing me try they're seeing the progress being made i found that it's made our relationships very very solid looking at your journey that you've been on has there been a fun challenge that you've accomplished something that you're like this has been a dream of mine i want to do this we talked about the challenge the the hard challenges but is there a fun challenge that you've been able to accomplish or is there something in the future that you're looking Mm. forward towards well there's i got one that was fun after i finished it (laughs) you know so let me let me let me put it this way um I've always struggled with meditation. All right. I, I just am one of those people that uh, to sit still and just focus on my breath. Like I, I just find it really challenging. I, I, I enjoy meditation through movement, like walking meditation. I, I've come mm. to realize that about myself, but I, I know the power of, of meditation, what it means to all of us. I mean, just the, the, the effectiveness of just getting more oxygen to our body. It's a good thing. You know, we feel better. We feel calmer. It, it, you know, as they say, it calms the nerves. Yes, it does. You know, and I won't get into the science of it, but if you go and look up sympathetic versus parasympathetic and and our nervous system and how it functions, you'll learn very quickly that breath is a great way to regulate that, you know, make yourself feel better in the moment. So we all accept that. We all agree. Okay. 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 Sounds good. Meditation is (laughs) good. Well, while we were living in Bali, you know, over the last uh, number of years, we, we lived there for two and a half years before the pandemic. And, uh, while I was living there, I, I was working with a business coach back in San Diego. And so we would get on these calls. And I remember at this one point, and he was going on this sort of life journey. Well, we'll just say that, like he's on this self-development journey. So he'd worked, done so much professional development. There was clearly a bit of a bias or a lopsided to that. And I, can, I know what that's like too. You know, I've been trying to even that out over the last decade. But uh, here he was going on this, this journey. And, and he, he introduced a term to me called the passion. Now, for those that aren't aware, Vipassana is a style of meditation, but it's the the way that you learn this meditation is by literally committing to doing a 10-day silent retreat where you basically sit on a pillow for 10 days, okay? You don't talk to anybody. You can't write. There's no electronics. There's no writing devices. You can't read. There's no conversations. It's literally like you're living like a monk for 10 days and learning to meditate this special style of meditation called Vipassana. I remember him telling me he's going to go do this. And I'm like, dude, you're crazy. There's <laughs> no way I would ever do something like that. That just sounds painful. Anyways, he came back a couple of weeks later, you know, and, and we're getting on our call. And I felt like I was talking to Yoda or Buddha, you know, like, <laughs> just, you know, just this shift, right? Like there's this shit, like just this complete awareness and calmness in him. And, and I'm like, I don't know if this is the right same guy. Is this my coach? Like what's going on here? You know? And I was just like, Whoa. So that was my first sort of thing where I was like, okay, maybe there is something to this. Anyways, over the next month and a half, I'd had two more conversations with other people that I respected that had also had positive experiences doing the passionates, you know, and here I am, you know, like there's no way I would ever do that. And I was saying this out loud. I was telling these people, and then after that third conversation, I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should do a passion. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm being called to do this. This is why it keeps coming up in conversation. And I'm like, do you want to do this with me? And she looks at me and she's like, hell no. <laughs> you know, but she's like, I'll support you if you want to do it. And, uh, and so I did. I signed up for one. 
Uh, and at that point I was going to, uh, it was north of Bangkok by about three hours out in the jungle, this meditation center uh, and at Vipassana Center. And the cool thing about Vipassana, it's all uh, volunteer driven and it's all nonprofit. So you don't actually pay any money to go to it. You just have to be able to commit to, to literally 11 days. And of course they, they ask for a donation at the end and that's so they can continue to fund these, these centers. Uh, but it's, you know, no one's getting paid for this. It's just to keep things operating. And, and so people give as much as they feel comfortable to give. And uh, which I thought was just really cool. You know, it, it makes it extremely accessible to anybody that, that wants mm-hmm. to tap into this type of a thing and, and get more connected with themselves. Because it's also non-secular. Even though Vipassana is Buddhist in origin, it's what the Buddha used when sitting underneath that tree and he discovered Dharma, right? We became enlightened one. And uh, it was literally, he associates this style of, of meditation to that. But when they're teaching this in the Vipassana centers, they want to make it accessible to everybody. So based on that, they they have um, removed any of the, the religious undertones. So whether you're a Christian, whether you're, you're practiced Judaism, uh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you can be Hindu. Like it, it absolutely doesn't matter. We can all benefit from these, these silent retreats, the passion centers. And anybody wants to check it out, the passion.org is the website. And there's centers all around the world. You just got to sign up to go to one. Um, I'm not associated other than I've done a couple myself. So, uh, but here's the thing, Alex, it was the hardest challenge that I've ever done, but it was also the most fun afterwards because after I got through it, meditation is not as intimidating. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit easier for me to get to that place now to get to that centered place, that present place. Of course you got to keep practicing it. I don't do Vipassana as traditionally the way it's meant to be done. Um, because it's literally an hour in the morning, hour at night. Can you imagine meditating two hours every day? Like that's the traditional way of the passion. I, I, now I don't do that. Okay. Full disclosure. But during that 10 days, it taught me how to get there, how to become more present, how to be more aware of my own life, also how to calm my mind. And, uh, so it was the hardest, one of the hardest challenges I've ever done. And yet one of the most fun ones based on what is created for me ever since. You know, and, and so I highly endorse it. I recommend it. Um, I've got a couple of articles and some videos about my experience. It's on my website, diamondwell.com. Just type in the passion in the search bar and you'll find it. But, uh, you know, and it's got links. If you want to go check out some of these passion centers, just go find one and just go do it. Because the cool thing is once you've done a 10 day, you can come back and do a three day. You could do a, a two day uh, or you can come back and do like a, I think they have one that's like three months. I'm like, oh. get that. I'm, like <laughs> I'm not going there. You literally live like a month for like three months, you know, and it's, and I should tell people your meals are only vegetarian. And you only get one meal a day. So you are truly wow. living like a monk, but you're not moving much, right? Like your activity is very, very limited and it's just, yeah. Anyways, it's just a, a wild experience. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for asking the question, but I, I would say that was one of the, the hardest, but also one of the most rewarding challenges I've ever done. I'm going to be that typical Gen Z person right now. This thing just takes over our life. If I was without it for one day, I would yeah. probably be going crazy right now. <laughs> yeah. To- you know what? Um, I get that. I totally get it. And that's why I think it's almost more, it would be even cooler for you to do it. Do you know what I mean, Alex? Like, because I think it's a, that it's kind of like a, I looked at it because I was the same, you know, I was the same, like, cause that, a lot of my businesses are run online and mm-hmm. social media is, is to create relevancy, but awareness, but also attraction, right? Like to, to bring people to, to what I do. And 
so to, to go 10 days with that would actually turned out being 12 days of being offline. It was kind of like a forced detox. Mm-hmm. And, and it was also nice because it created this distance and it reminded me that, oh, I can function without that constant stimulus, yes. you know? Um, but it, for me, it was like that forced detox because I know I've tried doing digital detoxes as well um, without something like that, <laughs> you know, like even trying to go away to a weekend to a retreat. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, there's always ways they still let you keep your phone and, you know, there's ways of like, mm, I'm just, I'm going to bed, I'll just <laughs> a quick peek, you know, like it, it's tough, right? If it's there and it's accessible, but when you go to do it a passion, they take all the devices and all your writing stuff away. They lock them up in a locker and, and that's it. And uh, so you're, you're forced to detox, you know, and um, anyways, just something to consider. So we talked about kind of future things in a way, and you mentioned some of the fun challenges you've accomplished. So now we're going to talk about the future. What are you hoping to accomplish both personally and professionally in the next few years? Well, thanks, Alex. You know, there's a couple uh, on the personal side, you know, and it's sort of, this started actually a year ago today. So I guess almost just, just almost a year. It'll be a year tomorrow. I made a shift a year ago to really prioritize my mental health. And when I say prioritize mental health, like I'm someone that, you know, for the last, gosh, I'd say 10 years specifically, I've been very good at prioritizing self-care, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've taken time for myself to work on my health, my well-being, And, you know, there's mental health benefits all along the way, but I got to a place because last year I had a hernia operation last uh, December. So it would be a year ago, December, I had the hernia operation. So it would have been December, what is that? 2021 yeah, or no, sorry. 20, because what it, we're in 2022, <laughs> it's a year ago. Sorry. You know what I mean? So it's like 20, is that 2019? Yeah. Or 2020. Was it before the pandemic? No, it was, was during it, the pandemic. It was so 2020. Pandemic. 2020. Yes, that, that's right. Thank you. December 2020, I uh, had a hernia operation and it's called an epigastric hernia. So it's like right in the middle of your abdominal region. Okay. So like you get your sternum right here in the middle, that little bone in between your pecs, um, you go down about an inch. That's where I had this tear. And uh, I fixed it once five years ago. Then I tore it again when living in Bali. And then, so eventually when we got back, I got it fixed again. I realized that the doctor, you know, she was, I mean, obviously going to, she was a little bit pissed off. Okay. <laughs> She's like, you tore it in the exact place where you, you had the injury before. Did you actually let this heal fully? And I was like, of course I did. You know, like, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Like I rushed to get back to training thought, Oh yeah, I'm fine. I'll be, I'm good to start up again. But anyways, I tore it again. Right. And uh, so this time I said, I'm going to, uh, you know, truly focused on the recovery aspect. Like I'm going to focus on just getting better again, getting like healing fully. So after the 12 weeks of basically doing nothing, except I would do walks, like I was walking almost mm-hmm. daily, but that, that was the extent of my activity, you know? And I, after that 12 weeks, I, I sort of got into a weird place mental health wise. You know, I, I became a bit depressed, uh, a bit withdrawn. I was struggling getting back into the fitness routine, you know, of, of actually starting to do more resistance-based stuff and just, just consistently moving my body with some purpose, right? To, to create the emotional benefit, the psychological benefit, but also the physical benefit. And I just found myself not doing it. And that went on for another three months. Wow. And, you know, also at that time I was prepping for the TEDx talk and I had a couple other projects and uh, anyways, I can say a lot of excuses. 
but I wasn't prioritizing my self-care, especially my mental health. And I just slowly started to, to regress and get worse. And my depression was creeping in. My anxiety was like through the roof. Um, and <laughs> I got to a place last June where I put a bunch of weight on, you know, wasn't feeling good, feeling really depressed. Uh, I wasn't making good choices daily. So I was on my nutrition slide, eating foods that I would never normally eat, you know, just because it's just not something I would eat. It's just, I just don't, you know, I have a certain way of being very ritualistic based on how I've lived my life. And I found myself disregarding the ritual. And uh, I don't know, you, you know, we get to this place eventually where we're just like, gosh, can it get any worse? And usually as soon as we start yeah. thinking that it can, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, you know what? I can't allow for this to get any worse. I just got to draw a line in the sand you know, as, as the, the saying goes and step over that and let the past be the past up to that moment. Everything that I was doing is behind me. I'm looking in front. It's a clear beach. There's no footprints. I get to carve the path I want to walk now. And as much as there's a visual there, you can literally do this, right? It's like, okay, right now is the last time I'm going to do this. And now I'm going to start doing this. And it's like, we, we have a very clear stop and a very clear start or a new beginning. And so then I set in motion, literally this recommitment to myself to get back to doing some of the ritualistic things that I know were really good for me holistically. And uh, one of those things, you, you know, was literally me. It's the best way to put this. I, I basically said, you know what? I'm approaching 45, you know, just to sort of put this in perspective. I was approaching 45 at the end of the year. This was now June of last year. And I was like, okay, well, I've got until November in the next five months, or even if I gave myself till the end of this year, in the next six months, what would it be like ending this year as my healthiest self? And what would it look like if I prioritize my mental health a bunch above all else? What would that also do? So I had those hypotheses and I just got to work trying to figure out what that could look like. You know, like what could it look, what would it be like to be my healthiest version to end the year on? And, you know, what would I feel like if I did that? You know, what kind of choices or rituals would I need to be enforcing or repeating regularly? Mm -hmm. And so I got to work and experimented. And here's the craziest thing. Nothing felt hard. Like, I remember, I mean, I don't know if you can relate to this, Alex. You know, we make these shifts because you've lost a lot of weight too, you know. And, you know, when you make that decision to lose weight, we just go and we lose the weight. But it's tough to sustain that sometimes, right? Like yes. that commitment, because it's not our normal yet, <laughs> you know? So it's, it involves discipline because it hasn't become a habit or a ritual, really a lifestyle yet. So we have to constantly be disciplined to say, nope, we're going to do that. We're choosing to do that. We're choosing to do that. Eventually it gets to a point where it's like, oh, I, I love doing this and I get to do this. And, you know, I'm just doing it. I'm not thinking about it anymore, but it takes time. And uh, I ended up, by the end of the year, literally the fittest and healthiest I've ever been in my entire life at 45 years of age. And it felt the easiest than it ever has to get that healthy. Like I remember before, oh, I'd have to watch everything I ate. I'd have to count my macros, you know, <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to watch how much training I was doing and, and make sure I do X amount of lifting versus X amount of cardio. Like, you know, I would have to engineer the perfect plan to achieve the kind of results that I got. But here I was, I had no real plan. 
I just move my body every day a little bit, always, always, right? And I also focused on my emotions as well as my nutrition. I made sure I walked every day, did something that, you know, made my mental health feel good and accomplished yeah. and productive. And it was just one day after the next, it just slowly built up this great momentum. And, and why I'm sharing this is I, I think the mental health piece is so critical that that's the best place to begin any lifestyle changes people want to make. And I, I didn't always believe that, to be honest. I always used to say, well, I'll just sort of, you know, the fake it till you make it. Just start working out, start changing what you eat and everything will get better. Yes and no. If you're not putting some habits in place to really give that mental health and that self perspective a shift, mm-hmm. you know, in a positive way, the other stuff's really hard to sustain long term. It doesn't become a lifestyle because we're not really accepting of it yet. And uh, so that's all what I discovered, you know, and it was, it was, it was fun, you know? And so where I'm going with this in the future is that this merge 60 program is what I ended up entitling it. I, I documented everything that I did. I just had a, my first beta group of 10 guys go through it. All got phenomenal results. And I was like, awesome. You know, awesome. This works, you know, like not just for me, but it works for other people. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really optimistic to, to really bring this and make it accessible to people, but also just give them something that does show them some better habits to really prioritize mental health first, you know, and, uh, and build a community around that. So that, that, that's what I'm really excited about for the future, at least on the immediate next six months. And outside of that, personally, I, I've just committed again uh, as uh, mud run races are starting to happen or OCR uh, obstacle course races are starting to happen again in Canada. Cause you know, with COVID they, they basically pulled shoot. There wasn't been tough yeah. mud or Spartan, any of them up here for the last two years. They've just announced all the, the races this year and or what's left. And uh, I just committed to, to the super beast at the end of August <laughs> and uh, the super beast for those that don't know, it's like a half marathon distance over 30 obstacles. It's done by Spartan. And uh, I, I just committed to it because I, I like to have a personal challenge. Uh, it's something that always keeps me motivated, keeps me on, on point with my own commitment to, to my health and well-being is having usually at least a quarterly challenge. So every three months, I like to have something I'm sort of working towards uh, because it just helps me keep forward momentum. You know, yep. I know I'm building into something. I know I've got something I've committed to. And, and so it helps me stay focused on the right now as well. And uh, so that's on the immediate, on the personal side. I'm really excited about that, you know, to get back to, to those kind of um, challenges that can be a lot of fun. If you're someone that likes to get dirty, <laughs> likes to challenge yourself, and you like to have a lot of fun with a lot of people, I, I think mud run races are just a great opportunity to do all those. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's mm-hmm. listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them? to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Well, I think first and foremost is getting clear on what your true values are. And, and I've heard the term, you know, and I think we all have this idea of core values. You know, it's, it's, it's the things that are non-negotiable in our lives. You know what I mean? Like the, the things that we truly value as being the most important aspects to us often to even how we associate to other people, like, because values is where a lot of trust can be formed, but also connections can be formed. You know, when we meet other people with similar yeah. values, there's an instant bond, a connection, a trust factor, a, a friendship, if you will, either personally, or professionally, or often both. And, and, but I find a lot of people just haven't 
created enough space for themselves to even ask the question, what are some of my core values, core principles? What, what are things that I would never negotiate on? And just to give you an example, for me, it's like family. Family is a core value. My fitness is a core value, you know, because it's a direct correlation into my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, my spiritual health, even all benefits from my fitness. Family, fitness, faith, you know, having a, a strong sense of purpose in life or, or a strong enough why. And I find that's where that faith connection can really be empowering. But also, you know, finances. It's, it's something that I think we all need to establish a healthier relationship with financial health, right? Like, and people often say, well, is that a core value? I'm like, well, to live, you know, with fiduciary responsibility, you know, being responsible with your money, I think is a very important thing. Because I see so many people dealing with negative health, you know, adverse effects based on yep. financial stress. So if you don't make it a focus, it won't change. It won't improve. And, and that's why I make it a non-negotiable. It's like, because I don't live in a culture where barter is the norm. You know, like, I wish it was, you know, I wish we could just barter and exchange everything and just exchange energy and help each other. And that would make the world go round. I know it's rather naive, you know, might as well sing Kumbaya now, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the world we live in. And we do live in a world that works on a global economy. We got to learn how to play within that sandbox. Um, so if you don't make it important, it won't be, and it won't change. It won't get better. And, and I just, I see too many people and I'm included in that lot. I mean, up until my, my mid thirties, I was very financially irresponsible, you know, but the last 10 years, we've really worked on that. My wife and I, with our family, like we've really made it a priority and it's created a lot of extra space to work on other areas of our life because when you don't have that financial stress and that burden weighing weighing you down you do feel lighter you do feel more confident and able to do other things focus on other aspects in your life that you want to focus on so those are just examples of some of the core values you know and and i invite people figure out what yours are because once you know that it gives you direction yep and with clarity comes confidence and with confidence there's less excuses you know, the easiest way to kill procrastination is through confidence and doing, you know, by taking action, we also reinforce the confidence and the belief systems, which also helps us gain more clarity and vice versa, back to the confidence, back to action. So these are all those aspects that I think once you find that clarity in this, in your relationship with what I'm talking about, it's, it can open up just nothing but opportunity and potential. And, uh, and it's a great way to start your journey. So to answer your question, I think that's sort of the beginning and where I would invite people to start. Well, Di, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Alex, thank you. And honestly, thank you for creating this. You know, your platform is amazing, but also, you know, rising to the challenge is just, it, it gives everybody the benefit to learn from one another. Because we all have different challenges, but many of the challenges are the same, you know, and it, we just need a platform to share those challenges because I know there's people out there like, oh my gosh, I got that one too, you know, me too, you know, and, yep. and we're all in similar journeys. It's just some of us might be a few steps ahead. So what better way to avoid those pitfalls than by sharing these stories on this kind of a platform? So thank you for creating this space for us. You know, it's, it's amazing. It really is. 
Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise at the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.